welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I'm Catherine and I'm so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. February, the month of love. What a romantic period of time. Even though I personally think love should be celebrated every month. Don't you agree? Nowadays, we have Valentine's Day on February the 14th and the tradition of gifting cards and presents to our loved one. But did you ever wonder how people used to celebrate love and the affection they could have for each other over the ages? I'm taking you to a time journey through the antiquity and middle ages to discover beautiful love stories and how our ancestors celebrated love. Let's go! We start our journey with ancient Egypt and as an introduction I'd like to tell you some beautiful love story I found. The first love story in ancient Egypt was the one between the gods Osiris and Isis. Isis was the most powerful goddess of the ancient Egyptian mythology. She was the daughter of Geb, god of earth, and Nut, goddess of the sky. She was the sister of Thet, Nephthys, and Osiris, with whom she would eventually marry. Isis was the goddess of healing and magic, occult even when beyond Egypt up to Italy and England. According to the legend, Isis and Osiris fall in love already in the womb of their mother. But then Set got jealous of Osiris' power and killed him in order to become king. He dismembered his brother's body and spread the parts in all directions. Isis went looking for the parts of her husband's body and once she found them, put them back together with bombs and tissues. This is how, again according to the legend, was born the mummification process widely used by the ancient Egyptians. After that, Osiris became the king of the underworld and, even dead, he managed to give a child to Isis, the god Horus. This dedication of Isis to go finding her husband's body was a big proof of love, even the biggest for ancient Egyptians. The second love story is not this time part of the ancient Egypt's mythology, but a real-life love story. The one between Pharaoh Tutankhamun and his queen Ankesenamun. You may know Tutankhamun as the pharaoh whose tomb has been discovered and violated by Howard Carter in 1922 and whose treasures have been fascinating the world since then. You may not know, though, the backstory of this king who died at the age of 19 and whose story disappeared in history until his tomb's discovery. Tutankhamun was the son of Pharaoh Hamenotem IV, a pharaoh known as the one who wanted to venerate a unique god, Aten, and changed his name to Akhenaten. He even left the traditional capital city of the empire, Teb, to move to his own capital, Amarna. If you don't know this pharaoh, you might know his wife, though, the beautiful Nefertiti. How did Akhenaten die? We are not sure. However, 
at his death, his son, Tutankhaten, aged nine at that time, would access the throne together with his wife, half-sister, Ankesenpaten. Ankesenpaten is said to be one of Akhenaten's and Nefertiti's daughters, and before being married to her half-brother, she was married to her father. Yes, incest was normal at that time, a way to keep the royal blood pure. When accessing the throne, they would reject the monotheist region of their father, came back to the old region, changed their names to Tutankhamun and Ankesenamun, and came back to, all the, to the old capital city, Tab. However, as I said, when Tutankhamun would die at the age of 19, the society would make everything possible to erase his names and his father's from history, wishing to forget as soon as possible the heresy linked with the unique god experience at then. What about the love story, you would ask? According to the legend, Ankesenamun was deep in love with Tutankhamun, her husband and half-brother. Some surviving texts of that time say that she would accompany him everywhere attending to his needs. And as proof of this dedication, the magnificent representation of the couple on Tutankhamun's royal seat. You can see the young king sitting on a chair and his wife attending to him. You can feel the love between them. On his side, Tutankhamun is said not to have taken other wives than her, though it was customary for pharaohs to have several consorts. Another proof of the love that united this couple. Ready for last beautiful love story? Another love story taking place in ancient Egypt is the one between the great pharaoh Ramses II and his queen Nefertari. It is said that Ramses the Great had around 200 wives, but the one he truly loved was Nefertari, his first love. He wrote poems for her, built statues for her and with her, Temples and her tomb is even surnamed the Sistine Chapel of Ancient Egypt. Here is an extract from a poem Ramses II wrote to Nefertari. My love is unique. No one can rival her, for she is the most beautiful woman alive. Just by passing, she has stolen away my heart. Wanna celebrate love ancient Egyptian style? So take your most beautiful rheographs, write a love poem, and build some statues. I'm pretty sure you loved one will appreciate the honors. Next in line in our time journey is ancient Greece. Love was a serious business in ancient Greece. They of course had dedicated gods, the great goddess Aphrodite, Heros, and to some extent Dionysus. And as the civilization of philosophy, they had different words to describe different types of loves. Heros, a romantic and passionate love inspired by the god himself. Philia, an affectionate love. Friendship, a kind of love without physical attraction. Agape, a selfless, universal love, a kind of unconditional love, bigger than yourself. Storge, the familiar love, the type of love you feel for your family members. Mania, an obsessive love, 
and kind of unhealthy love involving stalking, dependency, jealousy, violence. Ludus, a playful love. The type of love you feel when you have a crush on someone or the type of love you feel at the beginning of a love story. Pragma, the enduring love. The kind of affection that matured over time, built on respect and compromise and implying patience and tolerance. And philautia, the self-love, the love that we need to feel for ourselves, taking care of ourselves to be able to love the others. Indeed, for ancient Greeks, love was the fundamental aspect of the human experience, thus the variety of terms they had to define this concept. To show their love or affection, ancient Greeks would order custom-made pottery with dedicated drawings and text for their loved one, a bit like a card, in a sense. Inscriptions and drawings could also be painted inside the pottery as bowl or calices of wine glass and revealed only when the person would empty it. As you may have guessed, you could have very erotic paintings or messages like Leonidas is handsome or Agape is beautiful, depending on the recipient of the gift. Most of the times, men were the ones gifting this type of gift to show their affection. But this pottery gifting was, as love token was more a privilege of the higher society as it was considered as a luxury product. It doesn't mean, though, that the poorer people didn't offer anything. In the story of Daphnis and Chloe taking place in ancient Greek countryside, pipe, cheese, flowers, fruits, animals were also offered as love tokens. Looking to spice up a bit your next Valentine's Day present? Why not having a mug with a picture of you inside it and a poem for your loved one? A la ancient Greece? And what about the ancient Rome? Well, love for them was more an unhappy affair. They would of course write poems to their loved one and venerate Venus, the Roman goddess of love, and Cupid, the Roman equivalent of Eros. But love was something they would feel for inaccessible people, understand the already unhappily married woman. Love was all about torments and not truly arts and happy endings, if you see what I mean. They would write poems like you are like a plague, you set my bone marrow on fire. Yeah, not the most romantic line I've read, especially if we compare with the declaration of love from Rasmus II. According to Barbara Gold, a professor of classics at Hamilton College in Clinton, New York, USA, this vision of love is linked first with the vision of women in the ancient Roman society. Women were seen as a torment, as a plague, so the love ancient Roman men would, could feel for them was also seen as a plague. Indeed, our ancient Roman men were afraid of the power of love because it made them weaker and it gave more power to women, who would be able to manipulate them through their feelings. Very complicated. 
Here is a poem a certain Catullus wrote for his lover, Lesbia, the pseudonym of a married woman. Lesbia, come, let us live and love and be deaf of the wild jabber of the ugly old fools. The sun may come up each day, but when our star is out, our night, it shall last forever. Give me a thousand kisses and another hundred, another thousand, and again an hundred more. As we kiss this passionate thousand, let us lose track. In our oblivion, we will avoid the watchful eyes of stupid, evil peasants hungry to figure out how many kisses we have kissed. When I show your love ancient Roman style, write a passionate poem on how miserable and tormented you feel. Let's move further in our time journey and discover love in the times of Middle Ages in Europe. This is going to be our last stop. During the medieval times, love reached a new level and honestly, even though this is not my favorite period in all human history, I wish we could bring back some aspect of courtship as practiced at the time. Here we speak about courtly love, or amour courtois, as we say in French, or fin amour in Occitan. A type of love that wasn't necessarily physical, but was all about flirting, dancing, and chivalry behaviors to obtain the favors of the loved one. At that time in Europe, the region had the power on life, and people were living their lives in fear of offending God. Physical love, Human love could lead to the sin of the flesh and be severely punished in the afterlife. Of course, the love for God, which didn't imply any physical attraction, was considered as the purest one and was widely encouraged. So, how did medieval gentlemen and gentlewomen practice courtly love without fearing for the salvation of their souls? Well by transforming the object of love into a mostly saint figure. Though patience was there, respect for the object of your love was paramount. Courtly love, often felt towards an already married individual, was a mix of disease feelings, remember how the ancient Romans considered love, and a faithful service. Here we have the influence of the religion. The person at the origin of spreading this amour courtois was Eleanor of Aquitaine, whose life inspired poems. She was Queen of France and then after became Queen of England. Later, a daughter, Mary of Champagne, would encourage the troubadour Chrétien de Troyes to write about chivalry love and a courtly romance Lancelot, in which the heroes moves heaven and earth to satisfy all the demands of his beloved, was published. As examples of courtly love story, you have the beautiful 13th century poem, the Le Roman de la Rose, telling the story of a lover shared between happiness and despair. Dante also talked about courtly love and religion in his La Divina Commedia, where Beatrice becomes a spiritual guide to the mysteries of the paradise. And Tristan and Isot, 
a story full of symbolism we used to study in high school in France without fully understanding the meanings, I guess. Honestly, I found this story quite boring at that time. I would reread it now, I'm sure I would appreciate it more. The perfect lover of that time was a nobleman, not only a good warrior, but also kind, courteous, generous and devoted. Think about Lancelot in the King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and his love for Guenièvre, the wives of King Arthur. A Frenchman, André Le Chapelain, also known under his Latin name Andreas Capellanus, published a book establishing the rules of courtly love. Here are some of the rules I chose. You can read all of the rules on my blog, Boxed Post, dedicated to this podcast. First rule. Marriage is no real excuse for not loving. That he who is not jealous cannot love. No one can be bound by a double love. It is well known that love is always increasing or decreasing. It is not proper to love any woman whom one would be ashamed to seek to marry. When made public, love rarely endures. The easy attainment of love makes it of little value. Difficulty of attainment makes it prized. A new love puts to fight an old one. Real jealousy always increases the feeling of love. Love can deny nothing to love. A true lover is constantly and without intermission possessed by the thought of his beloved. Nothing forbids one woman being loved by two men or one man by two women. Hmm, I like this last concept. A kind of parody, finally. And I don't know about you, but there are some aspects of love that we are still practicing today. So, apart from a courtly behavior and a kind of open-mindedness when it came to love relationships, what would a noble gentleman offer to his lady? The first love gift a loving man would offer would be a brooch made of precious metals. This gift would showcase the wealth of the offerer and would also have a practical function to keep the clauses in place. Thus, a discreet and subtle way for proclaiming one's love. The Middle Ages period is also known for its tournaments with knights fighting in horses and armor to showcase their skills. At the occasion of a tournament, a lady could give to a suitor a scarf, handkerchief, a ribbon or a sleeves. Yes, at that time sleeves were detachable. We will come back to that fashion aspect in a future podcast. These tokens were considered as knightly favors. I'm sure you have in mind the image of a valiant knight on his horse stopping in front of the stand of her lady who will throw at him a scarf that he will catch and fasten around his wrist. So romantic, right? These two types of love tokens were practiced by the nobility, the people with financial means, but as we said earlier, love wasn't something reserved for the riches and powerfuls. The ones with lesser means 
would offer miniatures or smaller replicas of gifts they would have wanted to offer. It could be purses, combs, chaplets, and jewel box, for example. And of course, rings were the most obvious love token at a medieval gentleman could give to his beloved. So, what kind of lover are you and what kind of love token are you going to offer to your Valentine this year? Are you a Ramses II with poems and statues? Or an ancient Greek man with pottery and drawing inside it? Or are you a valiant knight practicing courtly love? Head up to my blog, my blog box, and to my Instagram, Kath at my marketing toolbox, for visuals related to love tokens from the antiquity to the medieval times. And feel free to share with me your discoveries. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this short fashion story about love tokens. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen your podcast, to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and to have a look at my blog to complete the podcast with some visuals. I am Catherine, and this is my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next week for a new Fashion Stories Box.